Hello, and welcome to Punching Out. Every week, we're here on Wayo Radio talking about the problems people have with their work, whether it's incompetent bosses or unfair policies, hostile workplaces or dismal paychecks, or anything in between. We want to hear from you. If you'd like to share your work problems with us, email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com and let us talk about them. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Hello and welcome to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined today by Noah. Hi, y'all. And Lou. Hey, guys. On today's show, we're going to be talking about uh, some recent news centered around the food industry, uh, food service industry. Uh, Most of it is encouraging news. Most of it is news around unionization, or at the very least, around uh, company responses to unionization, which the fact that they have to respond is good news in and of itself. So uh, I, I guess one of the stories that has led to this being the subject of today's show comes to us from Austin, Texas, where some restaurant workers are putting together an organizing effort that would seek to unionize the local pizzerias in the city of Austin. I'm going to be quoting here from an article in um, HuffPost by Dave Jamison, quote, Workers at a trio of well-regarded pizzerias in Austin, Texas, did something on Thursday rarely seen in local standalone restaurants. They informed their managers that they intend to form a union. The workers from Via 313, an Austin-born restaurant group that dishes up Detroit-style pizza. Uh, Side note, I'm not sure what Detroit-style pizza is. Uh, Do either the two of you know what that refers to? Isn't that the one with like the cracker? No, that's St. Louis. Okay. How dare you? How dare you? No, I, I was My thinking bad. the same thing as her. So, no, Detroit style pizza is rectangular, thick crust, um, and the the other thing about it is like the cheese goes like all the way to the edge, so there's there's okay. not like a whole lot of bread there. It is not a cracker with a bunch of processed cheese on top. Oh my bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't. Someone keep had the- to defend Detroit's honor on this show. The point is not the style of pizza they serve, but uh, to continue from what I was quoting, uh, quote, they've been organizing with Restaurant Workers United, an independent labor group formed during the pandemic. The union says it has submitted petitions to the National Labor Relations Board on Thursday, seeking to hold elections at the restaurant group's three sit-down locations in the city. So as the article correctly notes, this isn't something you usually see at independent restaurants or restaurants at all, really. Um, the food service industry is famously not unionized. It's, and the reasons for that are many, and maybe it would be a good place to start to sort of lay out, again, for listeners who might not be familiar, why is it that food service in particular is an industry where unions haven't had much of a foothold historically? I, I mean, there's a lot of, obviously, a lot of reasons. Um, one, there's just so many restaurants and food areas. And some are owned by big companies, but a lot aren't. Like you have your your you know mom and pop restaurants and uh, independent smaller restaurants. So the fact that there's a lot of different companies that have a lot of different um, policies and, and HR I'm not even going to say departments because it's extraordinarily unlikely that they have whole departments for that. Um, A lot of different things. Um, Second, food service industry is also 
one of the industries that is more likely than others to be uh, employed by people who might not be documented. And so there is a lot of risk to that, to unionizing, um, if you're an even more vulnerable than, than the standard, which is to say, and food service is in general very vulnerable. You know, they kind of treat cooks and busboys and uh dishwashers and everything like they're replaceable. And one cool thing from the pandemic that we're seeing is they're not replaceable because everybody is out of them. They don't have any more. And there's labor shortages across the country in food industry. But but I heard that that was because no one wanted to work. Well, get ahead of yourself there, Noah. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's... No one wants to work. Also, they killed all the food service workers because they died more than anybody else in the pandemic. Crazy. Uh, so, yeah, like the fact that that a whole industry or this uh, union is trying to organize across restaurant groups um, is really neat. And it's in line with other things that we've seen across the country, you know, with Starbucks and, and some other ones that we'll talk about soon. But it's really cool. And uh, I'm happy for them. It's also in Texas, which... I know Austin isn't quite Texas, but it's it's you know still something. I, I, just to add to the list of reasons you mentioned, I, I would also note that a lot of restaurant workers, uh, for many people, it is their first job. They're very new to the workforce, and so they are vulnerable in that way, and and just not really knowing what they are entitled to, knowing what their rights are. Uh, restaurant industry is infamous for wage theft and other sorts of violations that, you know, these are employers taking advantage of workers who, you know, just aren't experienced enough to know better or to feel confident in, you know, pushing back against that sort of exploitation. In fact, in, in many cases, those workers are literal children. Multiple, there, there's been multiple cases. I think Chipotle is the most famous recent one, but there's been multiple cases of both big chain and small uh, business restaurants getting dinged for essentially breaking child labor laws, um, which in the 2020s is is difficult to do because the Trump administration really kind of rolled back a lot of those protections or sort of tried to thousand cut them to death, but didn't manage to finish the job and there are still people actually being uh, dinged for it. Yeah. Uh, just to focus specifically on what's going on in Austin, I'm going to continue from the article. The company has already had brushes with Restaurant Workers United. The group held a protest earlier this year saying workers felt pressured to go into work while sick, called on the company to improve sick leave and COVID-19 safety protocols. Some workers who had signed a petition to management were suspended, but later reinstated. So right there you have the sort of issue that's been endemic throughout uh, the pandemic, if you will, of you know poor conditions surrounding COVID-19, the expectation that people will work through being sick, whether with COVID or other types of sickness, you know, this is not unique to this specific uh, Detroit style restaurant chain, but for the record, I hate that Detroit style restaurant chain. Yeah. I mean, the, the abuses, the, the cheese and the abuses go all the way to the edge. (laughs) 
Uh, Very good. Now, this uh, article does quote a bit from uh, some of the workers involved, which um, I I think is useful to do uh, as well. Henry Emerson, a cashier at the Via 313 on Austin's east side, said he hopes unions can improve the work in a field not known for collective bargaining. He said there's been an assumption in the industry that there will always be workers willing to withstand erratic pay in difficult conditions, an assumption that's been tested during the pandemic as restaurants struggle to retain staff. Quote, for years, they thought they could just chew people up and spit them out and take on a new batch of people. Epperson, who was studying history and sociology at the University of Texas, said of the industry, quote, but it takes a lot of skill to be able to do this job and do this work. We just really want to have respect and dignity for people that work in restaurants. And I, I think what he said is you know, self-evident. I, I think it's hard to disagree with any of that. It's. Well, it's hard to disagree because we're the people that we are, and we understand that he is correct. But, of course, restaurant work, one of the other reasons that it isn't unionized is that on top of having the boss, you also have a built-in police force, and it's called customers. This is a country that promises you that no matter how badly, no matter how bad your day is, no matter how badly your life is going, no matter what issues you may have, you will always have a way to make someone else wait upon you, to make someone else serve you. And if they don't do so to the utmost ability and precision, then you're allowed to yell at them and you're allowed to mistreat them. You're allowed to get them sick. You're allowed to assault them as we saw during the pandemic. And part of the reason that we treat them that way is because they are considered low-skilled jobs. And they are not. What they are is low-pay jobs. But in this country, there is one number that makes up your worth as a person or your respect as a professional, and it's how much money you make. If you're, even if you personally might be doing better, because there are, I've had um, um, friends who have been things like waiters or cashiers or hosts at sort of upscale establishments. And they'll say, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's decent money. It's enough to live on and all that. But just because the average of your profession is so poorly compensated, it paints the entire profession with the brush of being unskilled, of being menial. And once you regard a job that way, then it, in this country anyway, it is very easy to then mistreat the people doing it. You sort of uh, described customers as cops in that, and I couldn't help shaking the mental image of uh, restaurant uh, patrons being deputized by the owners and, you know, given a gun and a badge and license to kill. Um. (laughs) There are, you know, and I know, that there are many restaurant owners who would happily do that, starting with Lauren Boebert. We cannot get into that. Um, Wait, what? One of you needs to explain this to me later. You had to be armed in her restaurant or something like that. Like, it, it got pretty close to being the joke that, like, if you didn't have a gun when you went in, they'd give you one. I don't think that actually happened, but I think that was the joke they were saying. What was its name? Shooters? Sure. I. No, I think that was actually its all, name. All I know is the menu was full of that bleeding cowboy font that doesn't and, print right. And speaking of bleeding cow, there were reports of food poisoning. Imagine that. want to uh, finish off this article a bit uh, before moving on to uh, other exciting news. 
quoting here from a worker named Ashley Glover, who's quoted it few points in this article uh, quote i know how rare this is i know the risk that it is i could definitely get blacklisted uh said ashford glover a bartender at via 313 store in the city's oak hill neighborhood who's worked in the industry for six years quote but i think it's a really beautiful thing to be a part of and then later in the article it notes that the this chain has ambitions of expanding beyond austin beyond texas even and becoming you know the next great big national detroit pizza chain which we all needed another one you know who among us doesn't enjoy a good thick detroit pizza please stop Um, i'm sorry it's a city that's famous for its pizza as yeah it's the absolutely first two-thirds of the host who didn't know it had a style of pizza yeah Yeah. first thing i now i will style pizza either and we really shouldn't good i agree uh, maybe, maybe when Rich is on, he can enlighten us. <laughs> At any rate, this chain is owned by a private equity firm and owned by you know company. Of course, called, it is. Um, Savory. Yes. Yes, which, that was it. You. Yeah. You're not. You shouldn't be allowed to name private equity companies after herbs that were like least that were last relevant in like 1658. You can't do that. Yeah, Savory is described as a Utah-based restaurant investment firm, which... First thing I think of when I think of Utah. Almost as bad as destroyed-style restaurant chain. Yeah, that's a phrase that gets worse with each passing word. The opposite of the Vince McMahon meme. (laughs) To finish off the article with another quote from Glover... Uh, quote, it doesn't matter if they're going to open 700 other stores. If the ones in Austin, the roots aren't good, then it will just be another expletive pizza place, she said. If they really do care about money, they would take care of us. Um, which, here, here, and um, here's hoping that they succeed in their efforts. Um, we do have a success story to speak of, uh, which is sort of adjacent to food service directly, but it's in... The same general vein of this being low paid work, you know, often done by, you know, kids who are in high school or fresh out of high school. Um, Trader Joe's workers have now succeeded in unionizing two stores, uh, uh, one in Massachusetts and now uh, just this past week in Minneapolis. Um, And this is exciting because, again, this is an, an industry that hasn't seen a lot of this historically. Quoting from an article in, again, HuffPost, again by Dave Jameson, he's hot on this beat. Uh, The union prevailed in its second election on Friday at a store in downtown Minneapolis where workers voted 55 to 5 in favor of joining Trader Joe's United. Like their counterparts in Massachusetts, Minnesota workers are calling on the chain to come to the bargaining table to hammer out a first contract. Um, I, I think the margin of victory here is part of the story, which is incredible. And and you just know that they know exactly who those five people are. I think it's been it's been raised every time Starbucks has like a seventeen to one unionization vote or something like that. And we'll get more into that later. But the specter of being the one person, or in this case, the five people that didn't vote, there's no way your coworkers don't know. I mean, <laughs> if you've ever met if you've ever met anybody who's the kind of person who votes against the union at a Trader Joe's store, you know they can't shut up about how much they hate unions. Yeah. Uh, I'm, 
there's a famous uh, John Boys video on this subject, and you know th- these are the people on the right side of his chart. Um, some people will get that joke. Mm-hmm. We're not going to tell you. <laughs> the FCC won't allow us to tell you. Really, uh, we're being censored. Did y'all see the? You almost certainly didn't, but there was a tweet a couple days ago about this guy who worked for a government organization for like 20 something years had great health care, great wages, pension, uh, everything that you could ever ask for as far as a work. But he ended up quitting because as a conservative, he just couldn't take it. And now working in the private sector, he has worse pay, worse hours, no health care, everything like that. But he feels fulfilled personally because it's not the government he's working for and he's not you know, using taxes or theft taxes to pay his wages, which is just the most like you, my man, are so owned in your soul, my poor guy. And, and most importantly, I think the key word you're missing there is he said he felt like more of a man for ah, working right. in the private sector. That's the kind of guy who would vote against a, a union and a Trader Joe's. And is part of the reason why these stores and why these jobs have been so hard to unionize. Because people like that are going to make up the majority of customer complaints about your workers. So they make it easy to churn through and have the high turnover that makes it difficult to form a union. People like that are the people who keep saying that, oh, this is just teenagers, you know, working while they're at school or it's the first job for people, but they don't move on and so on. In other words, what I'm describing is these are the people who have such a complete divorce from reality that they power the, the labor fantasy of most Americans that actually it's fine that these jobs suck and it's fine that they're paid horrendously to deal with. I mean, working conditions that most people would absolutely not put up with, not for a day, and, you know, uh, have to deal with, like, people at their worst constantly. And most people don't really care about that. They even, even if they know people who are working those jobs, even if they are people who are working those jobs in many cases, they just take it as a fact of life. And there's no attempt to envision something that could be any better. So kudos to Trader Joe's employees for having that imagination. I mean, I think that's that's the first step. We've seen uh, with Starbucks how two of these victories, you know, victories like this, landslide victories like this, can quickly uh, balloon into dozens of victories. And we can only hope that that's the sort of effect this will have at Trader Joe's the way the Buffalo Starbucks unionizations had for Starbucks across the country. You know, the workers in this article say that they've been receiving calls from around the country. You know, this will not be the last time that a Trader Joe's store votes to unionize. In the article, uh, it's mentioned that, uh, quote, Trader Joe's said in a statement following the vote count that while it was, quote, concerned about how this new rigid legal relationship will impact Trader Joe's culture, the company was prepared to start bargaining a contract immediately. That is quite a phrase, rigid legal relationship and Trader Joe's culture doing a <laughs> lot of heavy lifting in that sentence. I don't know about you. When I think of culture, I think of a dude named Trader Joe. 
That's exactly who I expect as a cultural representative. I imagine a pith helmet, some seriously backwards opinions on on non-white people, and a general sense of fashion stuck in about late 19th century. I am just... The phrase Trader Joe's culture wars is in my head now, and it won't leave until I say it on air. So um, I'm not sure what those would be, but I'm assuming they'd be bad. That's when they pick a fight with another grocery store chain. It's going to be whatever the opposite of virtue signaling is. It will be people shopping at Trader Joe's to yeah. prove some inscrutable point about unions. We we can't we we can't try and figure this one out. Yeah. Uh, Scholars can do that work. We are not. Yes. Um, we should take a break here before this further derails. Um, when we come back, we're going to talk about Starbucks more directly. We've made reference to them a couple of times here, but uh, that unionization wave continues apace at Starbucks and the company, it seems, is not taking it lying down. We'll be back. You're listening to Punching Out on WAYOLP Rochester. If you'd like to continue slacking off, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Noah. Still hi, y'all. And Lou. Hey, guys. When we left off our previous segment, which focused on uh, some successful unionization efforts at Trader Joe's and the burgeoning effort to unionize a pizza chain in Austin, Texas, uh, I promised that we would be discussing uh, things that have been going on at Starbucks. And it seems that there's a, if you will, trouble brewing at Starbucks. And while I wait for my co-host to regain the respect for me, <laughs> Instead of roasting you, as we should. Yes. Uh, the the fir- we have a couple stories in this uh, vein. First comes to us from Anderson, South Carolina. Um, this is an article from The Independent by Alex Woodward. Uh, it's just last week, August 9th. Um, Starbucks workers at a store in Anderson, South Carolina, presented a letter of demands to their store manager on 1st of August in an interaction that has since racked up millions of views on TikTok. Uh, This is a Gen Z thing, but I'll take their word for it. Um, Workers at the store were the first in the South to form a union by a unanimous vote of 18 to 0, joining more than 200 unionized corporate-run retail stores representing thousands of workers at the coffee giant. In the video showing what is called a March on the Boss action, the manager stands up from a table and nudges one of the workers as they leave towards the store's entrance. Um, now, just the fact that a labor action is for, you know, getting all this attention, even, you know, on just a social media uh, platform, like that in itself is uh, pretty significant that, like, there's so much attention happening around these Starbucks unionizations now. I, I don't know how many views it has now, but I know that within about a day of it being on TikTok, it had 18 million views. For context, there are 17 million union members in the United States. Yeah, and I can't imagine that all of those union members have TikToks. So, you know, this is a younger crowd that is getting, you know, <clears throat> at least some view into labor organizing. And that's 
in my mind can only be good though. I, I don't know how the kids are using TikTok, so maybe it's bad. At any rate, yeah, this, we're, we're uh, treading water here. Anyway, yeah, this wholesome story um, has a dark turn in the next paragraph, uh, where quote the manager filed charges with the local police alleging assault and kidnapping against workers at the store, according to Starbucks Workers United, the union campaign supporting Starbucks workers. I have a quick question for you, because this is this is the only reading material we have on this topic. Um, were you able to uncover whether the Starbucks manager? has had another career as possibly an Italian soccer player. <laughs> I, I don't believe he has uh, the Italian soccer player to South Carolina Starbucks manager pipeline is uh, not a very um, robust one. Um, but yes, there, there seems to be a gross exaggeration of what happened here on the part of the manager and, In response to these allegations being made by the manager, um, Starbucks, quote, closed the store with little notice, suspended all 18 workers and barred them from visiting any other Starbucks locations, according to the union's attorney. So not only are they not allowed to work at a Starbucks, they can't even enter and buy a coffee from a Starbucks. And they're just making stuff up now. Obviously, they have, and they have been from the beginning. But this is like on another level of crazy. You might, you might say, actually, I it's on another level of genius because this, this is what you get when your leadership at the top goes back to Howard Schultz. We know that for a while they tried going it without him. They tried to just have him do his weird speeches about the Holocaust. And sharing blankets and whatever, and and just function as an informal advisor, and you can't do that. He had to make his return in a formal role. He had to go back and take up the mantle again of being CEO. And ever since then, Starbucks union busting has just gone, in terms of level of genius, has just gone from strength to strength. Um, something like seventy-five workers, I think, have been fired at this point. Uh, from various Starbucks stores. And if this assault and kidnapping thing gathers any steam, who knows where they'll go next? I mean, you might see the the idea that one day we might see a Starbucks manager legitimately just flopping in a TikTok and pretending to have been grievously (laughs) injured because they like knocked into an employee's shoulder. I mean, the, the sky's the limit, really. It, it just depends on how willing the manager is to be embarrassed by a bunch of Zoomers. We're beginning to see Starbucks managers almost um, budding from each other, just at a genius level. You know, they keep producing new in- innovations in the world of union busting. Um, we've That's mentioned that yes on the show. and mentality that Starbucks <laughs> wants you to embody. Uh, it. Acting and theater is it's a big part of this. Uh, we've mentioned in the past on the show, you know, about incidents in American history where, you know, kidnapping and assault actually did play a role. By all accounts, uh, that was not what really happened here. This is not, uh, I don't know, like the Pullman strike or, you know, somebody getting literally railroaded out of town. This is, I don't know, Starbucks using every tool at its disposal and uh weaponizing the police department in order to uh, close down a unionized st- store, really. 
Yeah. And it's a good reminder too that cops are not workers. Their unions are invalid. And uh they're do I mean they're they're designed being used as designed right now, which is as uh enforcement of capital. So good reminder for us all. Cops are not your friends. Mm-hmm. And in this in this particular case, I think too, depending on the fact, you mentioned, you know, TikTok being somewhat inscrutable to all three of us. But one part that I think is important in that is that if you're not somebody who's at least familiar with the concept of it, then all you see is Starbucks manager charges workers or presses charges against workers for kidnapping and assault. And if you've been trained, as many people in older and current generations have been trained, to take what the newspaper says at face value, then obviously you're not going to get the full story. Nobody nobody was reporting this as employee uh, manager nudges employee charges kidnapping. Nobody was covering this in a way that made it clear that the manager is full of crap. So the media and the cops, as they so often are, were complicit in framing this the way that Starbucks wanted it framed. I mean, in the in the video that got posted to TikTok, you can hear the manager say, am I allowed to leave the store? And an employee response in the affirmative, yes. That, there's no kidnapping there. He literally asked, am I being detained? <laughs> and was told no. Yeah. There's no, like, this should be, this story should be Starbucks manager, comma, space, idiot comma space attempts ridiculous absurd tactic to union bust that's how it should be covered and the fact that it isn't tells you what side the institutions are on here we have a media that is infamous at this point for reprinting uh, what the police says as the end all and be all of what actually happened and and incidents like this and incidents where we get uh video that contradicts you know the official police version of events we have uh you know some disconnect between that narrative and reality and often to local media's embarrassment um i want to quote a bit more from this article and you know some of the uh, figures in it um Quote, allegations of misconduct have been filed against Starbucks to the National Labor Relations Board, according to union attorney Ian Hayes. Quote, workers have the right to do what they did, and the company is violating that right by retaliating against them, he told reporters in a virtual briefing on 8th of August. Quote, this is all in reaction to action that is protected under the law, he said. The company's reaction to that is treating the workers like criminals, depriving them of their livelihood and stopping them from engaging other workers. Natalie Mann, a Starbucks worker who was among roughly three dozen workers and supporters protesting outside the store on Monday, said, quote, I'm going to keep fighting like hell. If you want to fire me, I don't care. I'm going to keep fighting. It has to be said that neither the workers themselves or the union are letting this uh, deter them in any real way, at least from the sounds of this article, which is good. It, it should. Yeah, if anything, and, and further evidence of Howard Schultz ultimate genius is the more egregious their acts are uh the more people are persuaded to join unions it's pretty clear um you know since the the last nlrb ruling which i honestly can't remember what that ruling was or or whatever it was just it existed good for me uh 
the union wave like increased in, in intensity and the number of votes, like there's very rarely a union vote now that isn't won. And when they are won, they're won overwhelmingly to straight up unanimously. So whatever he's doing, it's not working. So clear, like it's possible that he is, you know, brain sainting himself into, we're just going to act so horribly that we um, somehow force the NLRB to be completely disbanded because of a congressional act or something like that. Or I don't know. I honestly don't know what the other could be in that situation. I think based on what we know about the way the Democrats run their institutions, i.e. they put too much on the plate and then never have time to get through any of it because they refuse to abridge any of the rules. I think what's going on here is that because somebody mentioned that at this point, the NLRB is handling nearly 300 unfair labor practices cases that have been filed against it by Starbucks union organizers. And so it feels like what they're trying to do is throw all of this at the wall and see how much of it the NLRB cannot humanly deal with and just sink it under the weight of all of these things going on there. You know, even if your staff is made up of, I don't know, several thousand Jennifer's Abruzzo, you might not be able to get through all of those things in a reasonable time frame before a president comes in, who is going to be far more friendly. And I do think I maintain my conspiracy theory on, on why Starbucks in particular has seen so many union successes is that Joe Biden is still mad that Howard Schultz had the temerity to run for president. I think I maintain that this is a personal thing for him. You mentioned the hundreds of allegations or, you know, accusations of labor violations being made against Starbucks. Um, There's a bit in this other article from um, today, uh, the outlet today, the headline, Starbucks worker of 13 years says he was fired for being a union leader by Joseph Lamour. It's from last Thursday, August 11th. According to The Guardian, Starbucks employees have alleged over 75 workers have been fired in retaliation for union organization in 2020. In response, Starbucks workers across 17 states have held over 55 different strikes in recent months across the country. I'm assuming the 2020 in that sentence is a typo and they meant to say 2022. But at, at any rate, you know, we have dozens of instances uh, just like the one laid out in this article, which happened to pick place close to home here in Tonawanda. People who have been vocal leaders in this unionization effort, uh, finding that they are fired for, you know, thin pretenses and, you know, whatever excuse Starbucks can gin up in order to rid themselves of people who have been a pain in their side, frankly. And, uh, you know, naturally, these sorts of firings as retaliation are themselves not legal. They are a violation of labor law. But as the two of you pointed out, you know, maybe they're just trying to commit so many violations that they can't possibly all be enforced. It's like holding in the NFL, <laughs> traveling in the NBA. Yeah, there, there should be a point. There should be a point as a firm where you commit a certain number of unfair labor practices and you just foul out. Like it's over. <laughs> you just you just get dissolved at that point. Um, 
somehow TikTok appears in this article as well. Uh, there was a video of a walkout in, at this Buffalo, uh, this Tonawanda location. And uh, quoting from the article, as of this publication, the video has garnered a whopping 21 million views, over 3.5 million likes, and 41,000 comments on TikTok alone. Maybe we should be doing this show over TikTok. I don't know. I, I don't think hour-long TikToks are a thing, if I'm being honest. You know, I think Noah's on to something. Yeah, probably. But At any rate. Maybe they'll make an one, exception for us. I Number one, I'm going to issue a correction. This is the video that I had seen get 18 million views, not the other one. Still, the fact that it's more people have seen it than there are union members at all in the United States, you know. That, that that kind of puts it in context in two different ways. It's become that widely seen, and also that's how few people are represented by a union in this country, which is kind of a problem. But second of all, I don't remember if it was for this, and I'm, I'm trying to find it in the article here, but there is a real, this is the thing, that, that action that uh, Sam's co-workers took, that was the, the name of the the partner, pardon me, the worker who was fired, Starbucks would say partner, uh, Sam Amato, the fact that his co-workers walked out in response, that is exactly the kind of obvious, active, invisible solidarity that not just Starbucks, but everybody is afraid of. That's why Amazon was so mad that, <laughs> that the ALU organizers were giving people food, that they had a heat lamp that people could, you know, like hang out under and and have a light and not be cold. This is all of these firms are afraid that you might get anything from anyone other than them. That's why Starbucks is willing to say to um, non-union locations, hey, we're going to give you these benefits that coincidentally are exactly what the union has been asking for, or in some cases, even things that the union hadn't gotten around to asking for yet. But we're not sure that we're going to be able to give it to unionized uh, locations because we have a, we're required legally to negotiate in good faith. And of course, they're perfectly allowed to do that. Nobody is going to argue against you giving benefits to workers. That is the opposite of the point of the unionization process. But they're allowed, they're allowed to do that because companies are allowed to find ways to wedge into that solidarity or to complain about that solidarity. They're allowed to find any little crack they can to push this gospel that the firm is not only your boss and your employer, it's your family, it's your God, it's everything to you. And if you don't get whatever it is you're looking for from them, then there is a problem because they need to be paramount. Even as they give you fewer hours, lower pay, worse benefits, cut you out of more control, cut you out of even more control of the company than what you didn't have before and allow customers to treat you worse. Even as they do that, they want to have more dominance over your life. And so I think both of these videos, but especially this one, shows exactly what is in Howard Schultz's nightmares. Because even he knows, and I know this is Howard Schultz, I know this is a brain saint, I know he operates on a different level from us normal mortals. But I think even he knows that that anecdote about the prisoner sharing the blanket is much more obviously realized in a moment like this than it is in anything he has done as the CEO of this company. 
Yeah. Um, we would be remiss if we didn't mention 2021 genius of the year, Howard Schultz, and didn't quote from him directly because he is quoted in this uh, first article about the incident in South Carolina, the uh, quote unquote kidnapping. Um, during a conference in June, CEO Howard Schultz said he is not anti-union, which, uh, I mean, why, why are you even printing that? That's the most obvious lie in the history of lying. Um but said that unions were historically, quote, based on the fact that companies in the 40s, 50s, and 60s abused their people. Quote, we're not in the coal mining business. We're not abusing our people, Mr. Schultz said. We don't believe that a third party should lead our people. And so we are in a battle for the hearts and minds of our people. And oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> the hearts you and minds phrase. phrasing is, uh, you know, has some historical what? precedent. Yeah, when it doesn't work, what's he going to go next to? Shock and awe? <laughs> Surge? Counterinsurgency? Is David Petraeus going to be running the response? <laughs> the man cannot stop referring to uh, Starbucks' efforts as wars. Well. And, sir, yeah. you saw yeah. coffee. Also, <laughs> to be fair, wars have been fought over that, too. But I'm I'm most interested in the fact that he says it's based on the fact that the companies in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Does he mean the 1840s, 50s, and 60s? Because the Wagner Act is from 1935. Like, yeah, it he's got his history wrong here, but well, we knew that. I mean, yes. Uh, what a, what a man! It's like he came from an alternate universe where everything turned out differently, and he just like. He's like the man who fell to Earth, but worse. <laughs> He's Superman in a way. <laughs> Except like kryptonite makes him stupider. <laughs> the yellow sun. I don't know. I, I don't know enough about the comic book. That's actually that's actually why the Starbucks color is green. <laughs> he, he thought it's like an Eminem thing. He's going to destroy himself before you can do it. I, there's just honestly something so special about the CEO mindset. Like I'm becoming more familiar with it as the years pass pass and as I, you know, learn the mindset of my bosses and and other people around me. Um it's just such an interesting headspace to be in where you have to either convince yourself so true like deeply of something that is obviously not reality that you have to like live that reality because what are you going to do admit you were wrong never that will never ever happen and it's just such a fascinating thought process that i want what they have there is something in this country i don't know what it is i mean i know that rich people only have allegiance to each other. I know that in capitalism, being a boss, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your identity is. Essentially, the act of being a boss makes you interchangeable with any other boss. But there is... The U.S. produces CEOs that are a cut above. And I don't... I I know all of the reasons that that happens. I know all of the ingredients in that recipe. I know that we have uh, top flight unearned arrogance, that we have a particularly 
admin, uh, management-led worker culture. I know that we've got uh, a compliant media that is perfectly willing, as you pointed out, Ryan, to take Howard Schultz's lies as if that's something you need to print. I mean, you really, this is the one thing where I think we are not just undeniably number one, but we almost have to be proud of being number one. Nowhere else do we produce people whose brains are this broken. Uh, Speaking of people with broken brains, I've been scrolling through the comments section on the article about the Tanawanda. Why would you do this? Broken brains. Incredibly bad idea. I won't subject our listeners to any of these because... You can sort of imagine what uh, the readers of an article on Yahoo News uh, from the Today Show might have to say about workers walking out. It's it's not good, but it it's discouraging in a way that the millions of views from younger people is not discouraging. It's uh, at any rate, um, when we come back after this brief break, we'll try and be more encouraging again it will be the third segment the positive segment so we have to have something good for you right we'll be back you're listening to punching out on wayo 104.3 you can subscribe to the show or listen to past episodes on itunes soundcloud and other podcast apps we are also on facebook and twitter at punching out wayo now back to the show Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Noah. Foods. And Lou. Hey, guys. In the first two segments of today's show, we've talked about uh, various segments of food service industry and uh, efforts at unionization that are underway there. We talked about the ongoing unionization at Starbucks, which has now encompassed you know dozens of stores across the country, thousands of workers, and seen increasingly hostile reactions from Starbucks management, which has turned to firing notable union organizers and accusing them of kidnapping. Uh, We talked a bit in the first segment as well about uh, unionization underway at Trader Joe's, where only a couple of stores have unionized now. And it's Trader Joe's that this next segment is most adjacent to because we have a story about the CEO of Whole Foods, one of Trader Joe's competitors in the upscaled grocery chain space. CEO of Whole Foods is a man by the name of John Mackey, and boy, does he have thoughts. Um, He was on a podcast for Reason Magazine, which, if you don't know, is an outlet for libertarians. Famously reasonable people. Yes. Uh, as you might imagine, was speaking to a libertarian audience when he said things like, uh, referring to socialists, quote, they're taking over everything. It looks like they've taken over a lot of the corporations. It looks like they've taken over the military. And it's just continuing. You know, I'm a capitalist at heart, and I believe in liberty and capitalism, he said. Those are my twin values. Not values. A lot going on in uh, that quote. Uh to give listeners, I guess, full disclosure, we originally recorded the first five minutes of this segment. A technical glitch has happened and we're re-recording. But one of the points made during that was that it's not really useful to argue reality with people this far removed from it because, you know, you're not you're just not going to make any progress there. But even so, I'm 
morbidly curious which corporations he believes have been taken over by the socialists and and also the military that's there are a lot of questions yes and i think um in that previous recording lou mentioned this is ceo mindset and that's 100 percent correct nobody has told this man well actually sorry one group of people has told this man no in the last 15 years and he has not forgotten it this man is has the healthiest coping mechanisms of anybody we've ever profiled on the show in any at any length. But this is what happens when nobody says no to you, when nobody argues with you, when nobody pushes back on the things that you say. This man's idea of what is happening is ridiculous on its face. And yet, because he is a rich person with control over a, well, I guess he doesn't really have control over a corporation anymore, but, you know, he was instrumental in the creation of this overpriced grocery store. As a result, he gets to just vomit his thoughts out and the rest of us have to deal with them. And uh, I like that in here, he says as well. And I feel like, you know, with the way the freedom of speech is today, the movement on gun control, a lot of the liberties that I've taken for granted most of my life, I think, are under threat. Number one, I don't know what any of that means. Uh, the, that That is English so tortured, it, I think it has a case against the administration. Second of all, mm-hmm. you also, I, I particularly like the verbal Freudian slip of the liberties I've taken for granted for most of my life are under threat. John, you're a rich white man, CEO of a company that's owned by Amazon. We know you've taken a lot of liberties for granted. That's kind of the problem. There's a lot of entitlement in his mindset, which is uh, ironic because, boy, does he have thoughts on entitlement as well. Uh, Continuing from the article, uh, quote, I feel like I've become my father, he said. Quote, I don't understand the younger generation. Whole Foods, the CEO said, has had difficulty recruiting workers since the pandemic started, even as the chain has hiked wages. Mackey attributed the labor shortage to COVID-19 unemployment benefits, which, nope, are no longer in place, and said the company had greater difficulty recruiting in more, quote, liberal cities like New York, Los Angeles, or San Francisco. Quote, younger people aren't quick to work because they want meaningful work, Mackey told Reason. Quote, you can't expect to start with meaningful work. You're going to have to earn it over time. Anybody want to unpack that? Okay, very hard to say that there's meaningful work in a minimum wage job. So we're we're, uh, confusing meaningful with uh, don't want to be abused. All right. That's abundantly clear. Um, and I, again, once again, when are these guys going to collectively come to the conclusion that, oh, my goodness, it's me. I'm the jerk face that's creating these situations. The answer is never, because otherwise we live in a world that makes sense. But one dares to dream that this could possibly happen one day. And they could answer their own darn questions Instead of just postulating on or, or puzzling on the existence of workers who want to actually work. What's interesting to me is that Whole Foods, if you if you really like bring what a grocery store is down to its core function, it is a way to distribute food to people. 
I do not understand how that is not meaningful work. I understand how working for Whole Foods is not meaningful work. I understand how working for any grocery store chain in this country is not meaningful work. But the thing is, it should be. It isn't because it's being controlled by men like John Mackey and Jeff Bezos. And sorry, I should say people like John Mackey and Jeff Bezos and the Wegman family and whoever the hell is in charge of Aldi and whichever private equity firm bought the grocery store chain in your area and whatever. That is the ultimate problem you have. The fact that the distribution of food in this country, one of the most basic things, is being controlled by a bunch of people who themselves, for the most part, will never be caught dead in one of their own stores unless it's to inspect, you know, like little specks on the shoes of the employees, is a problem. It is directly responsible, and I know that if you're listening to Punching Out routinely, you care how much your food costs. The reason your food prices have gone up as much as they have is because the production and distribution of food is in the hands of people who are not hurting for money. All of those costs are going to line their pockets. They're not, eggs don't cost twice as much as they used to just because of fuel costs or supply shortages or inflation or whatever other excuse Joe Biden came up with to do nothing. They cost that much because John Mackey needs to feel like a capitalist at heart. That's why. And then he turns around and says, young people want to, don't want to earn meaningful work. They shouldn't have to. If they worked for a company that, as John Mackey claims, was an ethically capitalist grocery company, the work would be meaningful in and of itself. It isn't because we do not exist in a world that can serve both of those masters. We do not exist in a world in which something as basic as, hey, here's some fruit and meat and dairy and, I don't know, you know, household products that you can use, that you, here's one location where you can get almost everything you need and you take it home and you use it and you eat it and you are nourished by it. The fact that all of that is going to a few dozen people all of whom don't care whether the rest of us live or die. That is not meaningful work. And they, in turn, have made it so nothing for any of their companies can be. Because otherwise they'd have to face their own obsolescence. Which, by the way, Mackey does. He says, I feel like I'm becoming my father. Good news, you are. You said uh, Mackey believes in ethical capitalism. The term he uses in this article, at least, is uh, conscious capitalism. And I guess the distinction there is that they're not ethical. They just are aware that they're doing it. He goes on in this interview. um, He said he, quote, felt comfortable sharing his thoughts since he would be leaving the brand on September 1st after 44 years at the company. Quote, I have muzzled myself ever since 2009, Mackey said, referring to an op-ed he wrote for the Wall Street Journal 13 years ago where he criticized Obamacare. The interview sparked backlash and a boycott on Whole Foods. Quote, my board basically shut me down. It's like a father. They started attacking the child and I was intimidated enough to shut up, Mackie added. I feel like there's something Freudian going on here. This guy and, has some daddy issues. But uh, good news for us, I guess. The CEO said 
in six weeks, he would be fully free to express his political opinions. Quote, I was telling my leadership team, pretty soon you're going to be hearing about, quote, crazy John, who's no longer muzzled. And you're going to have to say, we can't stop John from talking any longer. Crazy John is a Donald Trump-ass nickname. (laughs) What's he going to do, run for the Republican presidential nomination? It's also incredible that he intends on taking that nickname from Papa John. Yeah, exactly. I was Well, I was going to say, I can't wait for them to go on tour together. I think that it's going to be one of the great comedic duos, Abbott and Costello, Laurel and Hardy, and now Schnatter and Mackie. It's going to be incredible. Uh, yeah. Papa John 2, Return of the Mackie. Yeah. Return of the uh-huh. Mackie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, um, I, I think, you know, we, we try to end this show on a positive note. And I think for our listeners, the positive thing to take from this is that this guy intends on providing us with a lot of content in the coming months. Cause after September 1st, mark your calendars, he's going to be unmuzzled and free to speak his mind. And I can only imagine that he is going to wind up in our genius awards at the end of this year, one way or another, whether just for this interview alone, he'd already be a strong candidate, but the idea of what he might say, once he's finally, you know, broken free of the chains that keep him quiet. This is my Super Bowl. For this week, I, I think that's just about all we have to say. Um, I'm Ryan. I'm I was Noah. And this is Punching Out. You've been listening to Punching Out. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. Tune in next week for more Punching Out. And remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.